Welcome into WarChant TV. This is Ira Schofield, managing editor of WarChant.com. I'm joined today by Matt Connolly, a uh, college sports reporter for On3.com, which is our sister network or our, our parent network. I don't know exactly the relationships, but we're we're a part of the same team. And uh, Matt is a guy who has covered uh, sports in South Carolina for a long time, covered DJ Uyungle during his time at Clemson. And uh, so we're going to get some – this is basically DJ Palooza Day. We're going to get perspectives from Matt, who covered him at Clemson, and then also a, a friend of ours, who Joe Freeman, who covers him, covered him at Oregon State last year. And, and so we're going to kind of give you two two sides of the DJ story. So thanks, uh, Matt, for joining us. How are you doing, man? Yeah, for sure. You already got the pronunciation down. I'm impressed. So, uh, dude, I, the here, game. so here's the thing. So when, when Florida State was playing them uh, a couple years ago – I was like everybody else. I was like, DJ, DJ, you, or I would just say DJ. <laughs> I just wouldn't say anything. And then one day I was like, this is really bad. Like we need to, I mean, it can't be that hard. Just figure it right. out. And so, uh, so I worked on it for that game two years ago when he uh, beat Florida state over here in Duke. So um, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm excited to have him here. And uh, Florida state fans are certainly excited to have him here. Um, I mean, I wanted to talk, you know, when I talked to Joe Freeman, I'm going to talk to more about last year and kind of DJ is the more refined, older, college football player on his second school but talking to you I kind of want to go back a little bit to when he got to Clemson and all the excitement and and then kind of how he handled what were two years that probably weren't what he was expecting when he went there you know he comes in after Deshaun and Trevor and you know I'm sure I mean he was the USA the national play USA Today national player of the year I think as a junior in high school uh threw for a million yards in high school out there in California when he came to Clemson I'm guessing it was as big of a coronation as you could expect with a kid showing up uh, on a college football campus. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at that point, you know, Clemson was coming off of Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Uh, Kelly Bryant was in between, but right. those were the two five-star guys that they had had. And now, you know, the thinking was DJ Uyunglele was going to come in and be the next guy. You know, he was going to keep everything rolling, be the next guy to kind of the, the five-star quarterback that leads Clemson to a national title. So, yeah, expectations were high for sure uh, when he arrived and people kind of thought that he was ready to be the next great quarterback at Clemson who, you know, would go down as a national title winning quarterback. So in that 2020 season, um, you know, which I know a lot of Florida State fans want to forget, um, but it happened. And, you know, he goes into a game that season, um, and I think he was, what, 31 of 40 for, against Boston. It was at Boston College. He was like 31 of 40 for 340 yards or something like that. He had – some some huge moments when he first got thrown into action. Um, so what do you think happened from then until like he became the starter? Because it just obviously didn't go as well. His first year as a starter was not, you know, 2021 was was not anywhere close to that. What do you what did you what were your perspectives on kind of what and I know there were a lot of other changes at Clemson with the coordinators and all that. What what do you think was happening there? Yeah, so the first game was Boston College, and, and no one really knew what to expect. Uh, Trevor Lawrence had just tested positive for COVID, and so you're kind of thinking now this freshman who we've heard a lot about is going to get thrown into a, a big-time game. How's he going to respond? And he played well against Boston College, led Clemson to a win. Um, and then, you know, the game that that I remember and I think a lot of people remember is the next week at Notre Dame. Notre so, Dame, right. You know, yeah. that's a – a tough opponent. You're playing in South Bend. You're going on the road. I think that there weren't a lot of expectations for him to that for that game. And he goes and throws for 439 yards. <laughs> I think it was the record uh, quarterback had ever thrown for against Notre Dame. So on the road, he's uh, 439 yards, two touchdowns, they end up losing in double overtime. Um, and so yeah, if he thought the hype was 
high whenever he first got there. I mean, it was out of the out of the world after that. Uh, so, you know, after that game, he goes back to the bench pretty much for the rest of the year. Trevor Lawrence is, is back healthy. But, yeah, certainly after that game against Notre Dame, just expectations were through the roof. So then – and then coming into the next year, I think that's right at the same time as NIL becomes a thing, right? Because I think he, he got the big Dr. Pepper commercials and Bojangles right. and – I mean, he was, he looked like he was going to be one of the stars of college football. Um, 100%. What did the, did the personnel change that much or was it the offense changing because the coordinators changing? And I think when Jeff Scott left after 2020, I think, or 2019 or 2020, and then Tony Elliott, they both became head coaches and they were kind mm-hmm. of the brain trust on offense. Um, have you, looking back on it, did you feel like that was just too much change in general? Did they just not have the same talent around him? There was a lot. I mean, so there were a lot of moving pieces in. So they go into the the twenty one twenty one season. Uh, new, I believe. I believe Jeff Scott had left. Yeah, Jeff Scott was gone by that point, but Tony Elliott was still there, right? Um, I believe. And so they go into that twenty twenty one season, and you've lost your co offensive coordinator. You've lost some some talent up front. Uh, the top two receivers are gone: Cornell Powell. Um, and I believe Amari Rogers was the other guy that that was gone from that twenty twenty team, and so. You're going into 2021 with a lot of new parts, but I think Clemson fans still pre- felt pretty good about having DJ based on what they had seen at Notre Dame. And so you open the season against Georgia um, and you score three points, you know, in a, in a game that had a lot of hype, a lot of anticipation in Charlotte. College game day was there. And DJ didn't really play well necessarily, but there was just a lot that was going on in that game. Um, you know, there was bad offensive line play. I think he was sacked like seven times. I mean, he just got beat up in that game. And so, you know, I think it, it was it was I don't want to say like a wake up call, but it was almost like, you know, oh my gosh, like this this offense that just went from scoring points on everybody. And yeah, they lost to Ohio State in the playoff, but but still had a lot coming back. Now they're getting scoring three points against Georgia. So yeah, that was the first moment where I think it was like, uh oh, this this maybe isn't going to be, you know, what what kind of people were hoping for. Just yeah, just kind of like a reality splash water in everybody's face, right. I'm guessing at the time. <laughs> um, you know, and then, you know, throughout that season, you know, again, they still won 10 games, I think, um, that season. Mm-hmm. You know, not a disastrous season, but just not what Clemson had been doing. Um, during the course of that season, were fans down on him? Were they or were they more questioning what was going on around him and how did he handle all that? Cause that had to be tough, man. Like this is a guy who set every, you know, all these records and was such an amazing quarterback his whole life. And now he finally gets the job and, and, and things aren't going the way he thought, like, what was your perception of how that, how he handled all that and what was he dealing with from the, from the fans? Yeah, I, th- I think he handled it pretty well. You know, there was definitely some frustration. I mean, just because it wasn't, I don't think what anyone really expected, you know, they, like you said, they won 10 games, but this was a team that had made the playoffs six straight years. And so now you're playing in the Cheez-It Bowl instead of playing in a college football playoff game. Um, you know, against South Carolina, they they beat South Carolina, but he threw for less than 100 yards. Uh, you know, they, they had some other games where it was closer than probably it should have been. You know, I don't, I don't think uh, he threw for over 250 yards in a game that year. So it was just a really weird season and, and not at all what people were expecting after the way the Notre Dame game had gone bef- the year before and Boston College too that you mentioned. So, yeah, you know, I think it was frustration with him. I think there was frustration with the offensive staff, uh, the playmakers. I mean, you know, obviously the offensive coordinator, but even receiver had taken a step back. Uh, offensive line was struggling some. So, yeah, I think it was just frustration 
in general on the offensive side of the ball, and he was certainly a part of that too. So then in 2022, and at that point now, Tony Elliott's gone too because he went to Virginia. Um, Jeff Scott had gone to USF. Um, his 2022 numbers are not that bad. In fact, he when he came to Doak, I, I thought he played great um, against yeah. Florida State. Florida State, uh, I thought, played pretty well in that game, but DJ was – I thought that was the best he played all year, um, and at least that I saw, the games I saw. Um, but even look at his numbers for the year. He completed 62% of his passes, which is better than he had done. 22 touchdowns, seven interceptions. And then like last year at Oregon State, I think it was 21 touchdowns and seven interceptions. So these last two years, he's got 43 touchdowns and 14 interceptions, if my limited math skills are correct. So it seems like he's he's kind of turned into more of what people thought, even though he's not quite as prolific as, as probably people would have thought. But did you see his last year at Clemson? Did you feel like it was it was coming uh, the way it was supposed to? Yeah, it was it was a really weird year. Like he left that Florida State game, and he was a Heisman candidate. I mean, he was yeah. top ten, being mentioned top ten Heisman uh, in several different places. And so, you know, at that point, I think Clemson was was undefeated, had just gotten a big win over Florida State, and I think people kind of thought like, all right, this is what we expected. Um, you know, you mentioned the Florida State game where he played great. He had five touchdown passes at Wake Forest and and outdoled. Sam Hartman in a game that was a shootout where the defense really struggled. So he had a lot of really good moments um, during that season at Clemson. It was just such a weird year in that he ended the season so poorly. And, you know, they ended up losing that game to South Carolina, which really <laughs> – I mean, you're talking about losing – I think it was a 40-game home winning streak. Um, you've won a lot of games in a row, seven or eight, I think, in a row against South Carolina at that time. And so – you know, I think fans were frustrated at that point, but Clemson still had a chance to make the playoff going into that game. Um, and he was eight of 29 passing Oof. for 99 yards, um, you know, 20, 28 percent completion percentage and, and really just couldn't get anything going. And so, you know, I think it goes back to, again, like a lot of that. You can put the blame on him. He certainly didn't play well in that game, but the receivers didn't help him either. The offensive line struggled, too. I mean, it was just. It was just a struggle for whatever reason for the offense that year. But, yeah, certainly after that game, there was a lot of frustration. And I think that's when, you know, I think he gets a lot of negative talk on on social media from Clemson fans and saying, you know, oh, DJ, he was so bad and blah, blah, blah. I think really that stems from, from that game, to be honest. I mean, he had some other games where he wasn't great in his career. But, you know, Clemson fans kind of block out the games at, at Doak Campbell where he plays really well and leads Clemson to a win or at Wake Forest. And they kind of focus on that South Carolina game or maybe a couple of, of others where he struggled. So, you know, I think when you look at it from a big picture perspective, I mean, he's got a chance or he, I think he should be viewed as a quarterback who maybe was inconsistent, but when he was on, you know, I think he was as good as just about anybody and Clemson fans don't necessarily remember the DJ that was on and, and putting up impressive stats in some games. Uh, they, they just kind of focus on, the way he ended that 2022 season. So, and then, you know, he ends up getting benched for Kate Klubnick and, um, you know, the percent. So I think some, just some things I've heard down here was that in a, even last season uh, for Clemson, after DJ was gone, that there were some, or some of the players weren't thrilled that Kate got chosen over DJ. The impression I got was that DJ was really popular and people felt like maybe he wasn't given or treated maybe the best way or whatever. Did, was he, how well liked was he up there? Cause I always wonder when a guy like because when he got there and he got these big NIL deals, you wonder if he's going to be kind of seen as like a different guy, almost like a 
you know, the celebrity of the locker room, but, and how well would they get along? But it seemed like he, he was well liked in the locker room. Is that your perception or what, what was your perception of that? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know as much about like people or, or players being upset with a bench and just because I think at the point when it finally happened, it just kind of had to, I mean, he was coming off of an eight for 29 game and then they went right. three and out. I think the first two series against North Carolina and he like, I remember he threw a screen pass that I think like kind of bounced out to a receiver and it was like, man, they've, they've got to do something. So, you know, I think at that point it, it kind of had to happen, but yeah, he was certainly very well liked by his teammates. I mean, he was very, very, popular player, you know, the coaching staff, the players, nobody had anything bad to say about him. Uh, media. I mean, he was one of the favorite players I've covered, you know, super, super nice. There were times where after games, actually, I remember the Florida state game uh, where he stood around after the interviews were over and talked to the media a little bit, just about, you know, how cool it was to play at Dope Campbell. And <laughs> that was a place he had kind of watched on TV growing up and, and watching the Tomahawk chop and stuff, how that was something that, that he had always remembered as a little kid and how cool it was to play there. So, Pretty cool that he'll be obviously going back there now. But, yeah, he was just a, a very nice guy to, to sit around and talk with. You know, he's a guy that you could go and have lunch with and have a conversation. Just a, a very normal dude to be a, a five-star quarterback with all the hype and everything that he had coming in. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm, you know, I was a big fan of DJ's when he was at Clemson. Uh, a lot of fun to cover, a lot of fun to watch him play, and certainly uh, hoping he does well at Florida State. Yeah, it seems, I mean, you know, again, people – Coming up now, when you guys watch when the interview with uh, Joe Freeman, he says a lot of similar things. He talked about when DJ came out there, how he took the time to go up and individually introduce himself to all the media, um, almost like he didn't know if they would know who he was. Like he just walked mm-hmm. it up to them and and uh, you know just kind of hey, I'm DJ, you know that kind of thing. So it <laughs> seems like there's a lot of humility there, which is kind of interesting for his background. Um, yeah, one hundred percent. What when you when you look at um you know again just you know him as a player when in some of those games where the completion percentage does get real low and I know again I I, I defended the guy because I thought when I would watch Clemson that year especially that 2022 season but even the 2021 season it was so obvious that the coaches had no confidence in him by the way they called plays like they would not yeah. if it was an obvious passing situation they would not just drop him back and let him really try to read the defense and make a throw so many draws on third downs and things like that. Um, I'm sure that affected him. And I saw some comments from him later where he felt like, you know, he, he, he could sense that they didn't have a lot of confidence in him, but in the games where he struggled, was it more just not knowing where to go with the ball or just not being real accurate? Or did, was there something like, if you, could you put your finger on, and I know there was a lot of other things going poorly around him as well, but if, was there something that particularly you thought, well, he really needs to improve on this area. If, if there was one thing I could pinpoint, I would say it was just when things went wrong, um, he just didn't respond well. Like he would lose his confidence and it seemed like if, if one play went bad, um, he didn't necessarily respond well to that, especially early on in, in his career, or I guess in the, the 2021 and 2022 seasons, early on that second year. I mean, it just seemed like, if something went wrong, you know, he he kind of struggled to overcome it. So, man, it, it's it's hard to pinpoint. Like, it's hard to say that that one certain thing caused him to struggle during those couple of years at Clemson when he did struggle. But I think it would just be a combination of of losing confidence, and then when things started going poorly, maybe not being able to to always bounce back from that. Um, you know, there were times when he did it for sure. Like, there were definitely times where he overcame a, a poor player, poor starter a game but there were also times where you could just kind of feel it where like he lost his confidence and things 
kind of started spiraling out of control and he couldn't get couldn't get it back together. No, that makes sense, man. I, I, I'm a big believer in confidence. I mean, just for having kids that played sports and just being around sports that, and I think one of Mike Norvell's greatest strengths, this is, as you're talking through that, I'm, I'm kind of excited for DJ because I think one of Mike Norvell's greatest strengths is he, he believes so much in players that I think it makes them believe in themselves sometimes at a higher level, maybe than they should believe in themselves. And right. so I think a guy like that could help him a lot in it. And again, watching DJ play at Clemson, if if I could feel that they didn't have confidence in him, I'm sure he felt that way as well. So that you know, maybe this might could have to be in a perfect marriage. On that note, I mean, what do you think? What kind of reaction do you think DJ will get? Um, you know, when 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 he plays Florida State or when he's playing for Florida State against Clemson this season, what what do you how do you how do you think he'll handle that? And what will what will the reaction be? You think from Clemson fans? Yeah, it'll it'll certainly be an interesting game. Like I'm really looking forward to to watching that one. I mean, I think teammate wise, like I think his teammates or his former teammates, I should say, uh, will embrace him. I think you know you'll see those guys talking before, after, and even during the game. Some just because he was such a, a well liked player on that team, and there are a lot of guys still around. You know, I'm sure it'll be tough for DJ in some ways, just playing against a, a coaching staff that you know well, players you know well, that kind of stuff. Uh, so. And I'm sure it'll be some mixed emotions for sure, but he did a pretty good job of kind of, I guess, taking all that outside noise out. You know, he heard certainly fans. I mean, Clemson fans weren't always thrilled when he was here. You know, he he was well aware what was being said and did a good job of tuning that out for the most part and just going and playing ball. So I'm guessing he'll be able to do that. You know, I've seen a lot of Clemson fans saying, oh, that, that game just got easier and that'll be an easy <laughs> win now and that kind of stuff. And, so, like I said, I think that kind of goes back to the the way he ended the 2022 season. But, you know, I, I've been I've been telling anyone who will listen, you know, if you go back and watch some of those games from 2022 and especially this past year, I thought he really played well. You know, I watched him a good bit this year just falling along just because I wanted to kind of see how he did at Oregon State. And he made a lot of big-time throws. I think he was a lot more consistent this year and, and took a lot of shots down the field for sure. So, yeah, you know, I, I, I've tried to caution Clemson fans, you know, if you think that DJ is just going to go and just be absolutely horrible at Florida State, that's not what I would count on. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think he'll I think he'll handle it well. And like you said, I think it's a good fit there in Tallahassee. Yeah, also because he, you know, talking to Joe again, people can hear it after this interview, you know, Oregon State did not exactly have a lot of big receivers with big catch radiuses. And he'll right. have some of those guys here, Hakeem Williams and, Kentron Portier and whoever else they get out of the portal. He won't have Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson, but he'll have he'll have some big targets. So so hopefully uh, that'll be good for him as well. Well, thanks, Matt, man. I really appreciate your time. And I think Florida State fans are going to love, again, the way you seem to like him and, and seem to like covering him. Joe is very much the same. It sounds like he's a guy that I think Florida State fans are going to like just rooting for um, as a player. So thanks for sharing that with us and uh, looking forward to seeing how it goes. Yes, sir. Yeah, 100%. Same here. I'm, I'm looking forward to watching them and uh, think he'll do well down at Florida State. All right. Thanks, Matt. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be back next with uh, Joe Freeman from the Oregonian. Welcome into Warchant TV. This is Ira Schofeld, managing editor of Warchant.com. And I'm joined today by a, a special guest who uh, has, has got some uh, interesting experience uh, in covering a guy that Florida State fans are going to get to know a lot about, a uh, new quarterback transfer, DJ Uy Ungole. Joined today by uh, Joe Freeman, who is a senior writer with the Oregonian and OregonLive.com. 
And uh, I know, Joe, you didn't cover DJ day-to-day like a beat writer, but you did have a lot of experience seeing him. And, and we're just trying to get a better perspective talking to you and also talking to Matt Connolly, uh, who covered him at Clemson, to get a better perspective of what DJ uh, brings to Florida State and what, what Florida State fans can, ex- can expect. So thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I, I appreciate you having me on. It's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's an interesting dude when he hit the portal. Uh, I was not expecting Florida State to be a landing spot, but, you know, in hindsight, it, it kind of makes, makes a lot of sense. So, uh, yeah, let's get into it. So, first of all, real quick, though, uh, to give uh, Florida State fans a little bit more perspective on you, you mm-hmm. actually are from Tallahassee and grew up, like, cheering for the Knowles. So, what, 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 uh, just tell us a little bit about your background and, and then also maybe how you got into sports writing. Oh yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, I was born in Tallahassee. Uh, parents kind of got separated. Uh, dad moved away, kind of went back and forth. So the last year that I, I actually went to school in Tallahassee was seventh grade. So, um, then ended up kind of coming out to, to college here in Oregon and, and just, just stayed here ever since was, you know, a high school writer in my high school newspaper and, uh, sucker i'm a sucker and i'm still here <laughs> still here churning away just like you ira um, if we if we only knew then what we know now <laughs> <No>. <laughs> best laid intentions but uh yeah i've been here at the oregonian uh for almost you know over 20 years almost 25 years and um covered the uh trailblazers for about 14 or 15 years uh and then since then and the pandemic kind of got out of that and have done mostly enterprise did a little editing kind of kind of been all over the place. And then last year uh, covered college football, last season college football exclusively with, we had a lot going on here with everything going on with Oregon State. And then, um, you know, Oregon obviously had it, had a remarkable season too. So, so yeah. What, go back and, you know, obviously Florida State fans and, and media, myself, uh, you know, we were very uh, intimately familiar with DJ during mm-hmm. his time uh, at Clemson. But um, when he went in the portal, when they made the move to Cade Clubnick, I think a lot of us just kind of moved on and I knew he ended up at Oregon State. How did he end up at Oregon State? Do you remember much of that story? How, yeah, how- it's actually it, it's a funny story, and it there's a little bit of of uh, I don't know connection to how he ended up at Florida State in that he waited and he was very calculated with his decision. Um, you know, I was kind of like you. He hit the portable or portal, didn't think much of it, uh, and then all of a sudden he he kind of hits Oregon State's radar. And, and the way that happened, it's pretty funny. He handpicked Oregon State. I, I huh. guess he kind of did a lot of research and and kind of explored his options. Kind of you know after what happened at Clemson, and I think in hindsight we see you know uh, with Dabo and the change in staff there and everything, an offense that maybe was carried by some quarterbacks and skill players that he didn't have. Um, he kind of wanted a pro style offense. He wanted someone to call plays. He wanted a strong running game, a balanced offense, and amazingly, I, I don't know anybody that would have predicted it. He, he handpicked Oregon state wow. reached out to the Oregon state coaches and then didn't hear from him. Like one <laughs> week goes by two week goes by and he's kind of like, well, what the heck man. And so uh, somehow or another, he got back uh, channeled to uh, someone on Oregon state staff and they're like, Oh, you know, they were knee deep in bowl prep. It is what happened. Okay. And, and so eventually, you know, got, got a hold of, Coach Jonathan Smith and uh, their offensive coordinator uh, was Brian Lindgren and uh, talked to them several times on the phone. And it's the craziest thing, Ira. He committed sight unseen. He didn't take a visit, didn't come out and check out campus. You know, and talking to him uh, later on, he's kind of like, I didn't care if I played in Alaska or Florida or wherever. I didn't care if it was a city or a town. I just 
it was it was very much a business decision for him. And so I couldn't help think about that when I felt like he pretty much had to wait around this time. I mean, you know, we're all waiting for Cam Ward to figure out what the heck he was going to do. Um, and so, yeah, it, he very clearly identified Florida State now as his choice, went out, this time took a visit and, um, you know, kind of played the waiting game there. But yeah, that's, so that's how he came to be in Corvallis. And, um, you know, kind of like I intimated, he, he playing the offense that he did at, at Clemson, I think he didn't get a lot of chances to check. He didn't have a lot of multiple sets of receivers. You know, he kind of ran this basic spread, you know, offense. Um, and he wanted to be in a pro style offense uh, with, with someone who kind of, you know, to obviously help his chances at the NFL. And so, you know, he identified uh, Oregon State staff and the Beavers. That's fascinating because, yeah, the whole time he was at Clemson, I'm sure you, you, know, you were paying attention to him too because mm-hmm. you're a Florida State guy. But uh, it just seemed like I, I just it felt like they were they had these like restrictor plates on him, and I'm not saying I don't know how good he can be. I don't know if he could have been any better. But when you watch them play, it was like they were trying to turn him into a robot or something. They would never let him throw it in obvious passing situations. Uh, they kept thir- like draws on third quarterback draws on third and long. I mean, and you could see the frustration in him. And at the time, again, like we were all thinking, okay, well maybe it's all him because Clemson had been so good. But then you see what happens with Kate Klubnick, and you start wondering, okay, and obviously the fact that Tony Elliott had left and Jeff Scott had left, and you start wondering, okay, maybe the problem really was at Clemson. What was, you know, in terms of his play on the field, I know you look at his numbers at Oregon State, not a great completion percentage uh, and not otherworldly numbers, but how did how did it look like when you were watching him play? Very um, kind of up and down. You know, he, he would have an incredible 23 for 28, you know, 280 yards and three touchdown game. And then he'd have a 15 for 31. And, and um, I don't know if it was a change in system, if it's just who he is, um, you know, if it's Oregon state's personnel, Jonathan Smith and Brian Lindgren run a very run heavy set, kind of a stretch zone uh, style. And, and they like to run the ball and they have one of the more underrated running backs, Damian Martinez in the country. Um and they long have had a lot of good running backs at Oregon State quietly. And so, um, you know, I don't know if it was not able to get in a rhythm, you know, repeatedly, because when you don't drop back to throw 40 times, you know, it's, it can be difficult. Um, I will say this. It kind of reminds me of some of those uh, during the lean years of Jimbo when, you know, we had those five foot 11, five foot 10 wide receivers. Right, right. Oregon State's main receivers this year were five foot 11, five foot eight and five foot eight. And so... Yeah. I can't imagine that helps a quarterback, even, you know, just I wouldn't want to necessarily throw to that group. So it'll be interesting to see with a more dynamic and and a more physically gifted set of guys how how he evolves. Um, But I will say, you know, he was a very um, he's a very humble kid. He's a very, very mature kid. You know, he, he moved out to Corvallis with his girlfriend. I'm pretty sure he's engaged. I think they're engaged now. It seemed um, like, and I, I don't know a lot about his details, but it seemed like he had a young lady with him yeah. on the visit to Tallahassee as well. And so they actually met in Clemson, kind of a funny backstory with that. They were just chilling on the bus. He was going somewhere his first semester at Clemson. I think he was an early enrollee and he, he sees this girl that he thought was beautiful and he just kind of approaches her and, and next thing you know, here we are. So she was a volleyball player at, at Clemson. Yeah. So that's how they met. They met on a random bus ride. Um, but yeah, so he came out, you know, to the Northwest with her and they lived together and she was kind of instrumental and in, he had a really rough spring, 
in Corvallis. He really, you could tell he didn't grasp the offense. He wasn't, he wasn't confident in a lot of the throws and the reads he was making, which I mean, totally makes sense. You're learning a whole new playback and a whole new terminology and, and completely different system from what, what Dabo does at Clemson, obviously. And so, you know, he really, you know, dug into the homework there and uh, he would work with the Oregon state staff during the day, learning everything. And then at night with his girlfriend, um, they would go up to a whiteboard. board. She would call out sets, call out plays, and he would go up and draw them out on the board. And so that oh, was wow. kind of how he, you know, kind of, kind of worked on that. But I, I went on a tangent there. I don't even remember where we were yeah, going. Yeah, no, it's cool. And it brought me to a different place was, you know, and you'll relate to this again, because you're watching Florida State. But, you know, mm-hmm. the the only really one-year transfer kind of guy that I, I that I can remember that Florida State's brought in as long as I've been covering him is, was the Everett Golson right. uh, situation. And I remember talking to Jimbo when they signed Everett Golson, and I, and I remember asking him, is he really going to be able to learn your offense in just a few months? And he wasn't even getting here until the summer. Right. And Jim, Jimbo was, of course, Jimbo, he was so confident that, wow. oh, it's just, we all run the same place. It's just terminology. He, it'll be no problem at all. And never goes was fine. I think they still won 10 games. It wasn't like yeah. he was terrible, but it wasn't a seamless transition either. I don't, what do you, you know, I guess, you know, you, having seen him go through this once before, you know, how big of a challenge do you think that is to, to, to come in and, and be a quarterback I guess this, you know, it's be a similar situation. He'll be here for the spring and and summer, and then and then play in the fall. Yeah, I I mean it'll be a challenge. It should be a whole new system and, and again a whole new terminology and everything. Um, I guess going through it once can't hurt though, right? It it's right. certainly would help him. So he's kind of got his system down. I imagine him and his girlfriend or, or now fiance will be working on that whiteboard <laughs> again in Tallahassee. Right. But um, I, I you know Jimbo's system as you well know, is seemingly incredibly difficult. I mean, he needed a once in a generation quarterback to, to, to kind of lead him to the promised land there. But, um, and so I don't know how that compares with Mike. It seems like, you know, listening to you guys and reading you guys that he kind of adjusts what he does based upon his personnel a lot more than Jimbo would ever dare. <laughs> that seems dare to be the case. Yeah. So yeah. I, I can't imagine that I, I would imagine yeah. that that would help him, but um, you know, I just get the feeling that this was a very business-like decision again for DJ. And, and it seemed like he picked Florida State, you know, patiently waited for the chance to do it and pounced on it. And so, um, you know, like any business decision, I think he's going to go on and, and, and work his tail off. And he, he did that at Oregon State as well, you know, struggled in the spring. And, and they had an incredible freshman, Aiden Childs, who came in, true freshman. And uh, he has since left with Jonathan Smith to Michigan State. So they think, you know, that shows you how highly they thought of him. And he really pushed DJ. And Oregon State had their previous starter who was, you know, kind of a game manager sort of a guy. But um, And they pushed him in the spring. But by the time fall camp came around, you could see his understanding of the playbook. And he grasped it a lot better, felt a lot more comfortable. And so by that point, it was pretty clear, you know, midway through that DJ was the guy. And, and had kind of separated himself. Um, kind of an interesting note that, that I brought up now that I brought up Aiden Childs is about four or five games into the season, Oregon State started going to use Aiden Childs for one series a game. They would bring him in. It was a third or fourth series every single game until uh, I think until the Oregon game, um, which, you know, you have to check your ego as a guy who's the guy coming in. You're the transfer. You're, you're a big time recruit back in the day. And so I think that shows you a little bit, too, about his his 
teammanship or whatever and what a good teammate he is and just you know a, a humble guy he, he'll come in he's very stoic he's very even keeled um he says a lot without saying anything if that makes a sense so so don't don't get a you know hopes up for some very engaging <laughs> interviews he's, he's a very professional guy in that standpoint but uh, i got the sense that his teammates really respected him um I kind of had this scene in my head after the um, Oregon State lost at Arizona, and it was a brutal loss for them. It pretty much ended their – they were a fringe Pac-10-12 uh, at the end there, championship contender, but it pretty much dashed their their title hopes. And, you know, I saw guys dropping F-bombs on the sidelines, and I saw guys embraced in tears in the tunnel leading to the to the locker room and kind of walking through that scene – Outside the locker room, every guy that came in, DJ stood there and kind of gave him a fist bump or patted their head or gave him a little hug and, you know, kind of keep your head up. And so, you know, he's a guy who who doesn't I don't know that he says a lot in that standpoint, but he's he just he has this presence in a leadership role that he just kind of oozes is that. And I think, you know, what has he started? 49, 48 right. games or something. And you just you can't replace that. And 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 this is where my fandom kind of crosses over. It's like, was Brock Glenn really going to be able to give you that? And, and did we really believe in Tate? I, I don't know. It, maybe if he had gotten a, a full camp, you know, a full chance to be the guy. But you can't make up for that experience and and the ability. He he does have some ability. So from that standpoint, I think he does bring a lot, you know, you know, to to, to the locker room there. Yeah, and, and you know, going back to your point earlier about Jimbo and, and Norvell, the differences, and I do think that that is a big difference. You go back to when James Blackman had to take over as a true freshman, and it just felt like this poor kid was being asked to run the full offense, even though Jimbo would say it wasn't. It kind of felt like it was. And uh, and then you look at Mike Norvell and the way he's tailored his offense around different quarterbacks through the years back when he was at Arizona State, obviously right. Memphis and, and Florida State. So, so you'd like to think that the offense will look a little bit different um, in this game, in the games, in some of the bigger games, you know, like obviously Oregon was a tough game and, you know, they had some, they played some really tough opponents and tough games. And, and it, like you said, in a couple of those games, he didn't play particularly well statistically. How did he handle those? I mean, did you feel like he ever seemed like overwhelmed or is it just the plays just weren't there? Like the, the completion I don't, just I don't. I never got the sense he was overwhelmed or in over his head or anything like that. The one game that really kind of made you raise your eyebrows was they had their first loss was a really bad loss at Washington State. I think it was the third or fourth week in the season, um, kind of the first adversity that had hit. And he was not very good in, in that. He, he was very uh, up and down and had a good second half. The, the final score is, a, is not as close as the game might you know, suggest watching it with your eyeballs. Um, but very even keel. Like I said, he's, he's just kind of steady Eddie. I remember for a story I wrote on him before the season, talking to his, his high school coach, he went to a very uh, famed high school, right. Bosco high school in California. And I mean, he was, you know, one, two, three, AB top recruits in the country right there with Bryce Young and Justin Fields. Um, Fields might've been a year earlier, but uh, a very high level recruit. And, uh, you know, his coach, he, I remember this story his coach told me about, um, it was, might've been his second to last high school game. And, uh, he was playing against Bryce Young and it was an epic modern day versus Bosco. I mean, I don't know the California high school scene, but they're very prominent high schools and, uh, high schools we see on ESPN. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And so DJ's team got down something like 28 to five. 
They were just getting there. You know what's handed to them. And uh, he's, the coach said it was the first time DJ had always been very stoic and very calm and very even keeled. And he kind of lost his mind. He started shouting to the crowd, like trying to get the team uh, ramped up and, and, and just, you know, light a spark into them. And, and then he just took off. And they ended up having this epic comeback. He threw for 444 yards and five touchdowns. They came back and they won. I don't know, 39, 35 or something like that. And it's just a, a people in California high school circles still talk about that game just because of, you know, Bryce Young, what he went on to do and, and where DJ is. And so, um, you know, he, he's he, generally speaking a, a very kind of even keel, steady Eddie guy, but he does have that, you know, kind of next level in him, I guess, when he gets ramped up, but through all the ups and downs and you have to appreciate the uh, I mean, you think we've had a tough month of December in Tallahassee. Uh, and as a Florida State fan, I can assure you that I was in depression for two or three days there uh, after the, the, the snub. But um, imagine playing at Oregon State this last year. Are you kidding me? Um, yeah. And, and you, there's this feeling that this was, you know, not the end, but, but man, this is this, no. obviously. Yeah, what no you telling what it's good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so somehow or another, a coach who eventually had one foot out the door and left and all these guys, you know, they kept everything together in a season of pretty high expectations. They, you know, they got inside the top 10 of the AP poll at one point and, and had a really strong season for Oregon state and throughout it all, you know, the locker room remained connected. And I think he was a big part of that just mm. be, because of his personality and because of his presence and, and because of his, his leadership. And, you know, he's a guy, uh, the team, you know, he's, he's, um, like I said, he's a humble and mature guy, and he tends to get along, I think, with a lot of different crowds. Uh, now, he helped himself out. He, he's a Beats sponsor, you know, Beats headphones. Right. He's one of their ambassadors, and he gifted the whole team Beats headphones, you know, when he got, you know. He, so he, he does a lot of stuff like that. But you just got the feeling that um, inside that thing is a real, gen, you know, kind of the, the cliche, what you do mm -hmm. out in the media is a genuine guy. In fact, it reminds me, the first time I ever met him, it was, it was in spring. It was his first kind of interview since he, he landed in Corvallis. And, uh, you know, there was a bunch of us there at, at Reeser Stadium in the corner. And he kind of comes over. Uh, we're standing there waiting. And he walks up to every one of us and shakes our hands and introduces him. Hey, I'm DJ. Hey, I'm DJ. Hey, I'm DJ. Wow. And, you know, I've been around the block. <laughs> I'm like, what is this? You know, has he got some PR handler? Is he taking right. some is – he, is he trying to deflect the questions coming his way? And Right. You know, a, a month or two later, I, I when I talked to his high school coach, I told him that, and I was like, I, I'm remain skeptical. And he's like, Joe, it is 100% genuine. He is the most down to earth, decent human you'll meet. He's he's what you see is what you get. And he he still goes around the high school. He works out there, or he, I'm probably not now because he's. I imagine he's in Tallahassee. But mm -hmm. um, you know, he was a part. His, his younger brother, who is a, a defensive lineman at Oregon, you know, uh, was still in the program, so he was still around. But everybody at his high school loved him, and, and seemingly everybody at Oregon State liked him a lot too. Now it's cool to hear, and that's what you know. One of the things I heard some this past year with things not going well at Clemson was that there were issues in the locker room where guys who were not thrilled that the coaching staff picked Cade over DJ because DJ was pretty well liked. So I was curious how quickly he kind of became well liked out there. And I, yeah. it sounds like it was pretty quickly. So. Yeah, it was. And what's interesting, and, and I, Lord knows I talked to him multiple times about it. I'm sure everybody else did too. You didn't hear him come out and just crush Dabo. Right, or he didn't right. come out and, you know, just mutilate anybody on Clemson. Every time I talked to him about that and, and 
he was always, you know, effusive in his praise for the situation. You know, he talked about missing his brothers and he would never change his experiences and all the things you're supposed to say. Uh, and I, I assume he meant it because at any point, you know, he could have he could have, you know, they have yeah. fallen apart since he left in, in certain respects. So, you know, uh, my understanding is very well liked. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Joe, thanks a lot so much, man. I appreciate your time. And hopefully, uh, man, we can get you some uh, on some more channel offerings in the future because, you you know, you're obviously know uh, plenty about Florida State and you've obviously been covering college football for a long time. So I appreciate it. If we can ever help you down here, if uh, the next time somebody from Florida, you never know in this world. You never college know. Football, you know, who knows who might end up uh, transferring out, out west. So well, yeah, thanks no, again I for your time, man. I appreciate it. Nice meeting you. And uh, it, like I said, I'm a loyal War, War Chant subscriber, so uh, you'll still get my business here. <laughs> we, we appreciate it. Maybe we can get Gene to throw you a comp at some point. There you go. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Joe. Talk All to right, you soon. Take it easy, Ira. Take care.